Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and so many powerful words here. I pray you would open our minds and our hearts to them. We thank you and praise you for your mercy in our life. That you forgive us, redeem us, and call us to be leaders in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to finish our series on the gift of leadership. And so far, we've seen that uh, kingdom leaders don't carry their baggage with them. We saw that the very first week. You need to let go of your baggage in order to move forward in the kingdom of God as leaders. They don't carry it with them, they release it. Leaders also take responsibility. They learn from their mistakes, celebrate their victories, and stay focused on the task at hand. We, we've looked at that in the last three weeks, and today we're going to discover the character of a leader, the character of a leader I've shared with you a number of definitions of leadership and Christian leadership, and I'll give you one or two more today. A leader is a person with a magnet in his heart and a compass in his head. I didn't write that, somebody else did, but I thought that was profound. A leader is a person with a magnet in his heart and a compass in his head. It was Harry Truman who had a maxim that said, a leader is a man who has the ability to get other people to do what they don't want to do and like it. That's pretty good. A leader is a man who has the ability to get other people to do what they don't want to do and like it. <clears throat> I remember as a boy, <clears throat> my mother would say to me when it was time to eat her cooking, you're going to eat it and you're going to like it. <laughs> I don't know if that's what Harry Truman had in mind, but I remember mom saying that. In the kingdom, a leader's task is to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's perhaps the best definition of leadership in the kingdom that you'll hear, that in the kingdom, a leader's task is to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. I want to share with you just a few keys today, four in all, about kingdom leaders. And again, we're wrapping it up today, and so I thought... Where are the areas that I've not covered and not discussed with you that I think are so important? Number one, kingdom leaders invest themselves in others. Kingdom leaders invest themselves in others. <clears throat> Here at First Baptist Church, programs are important, but our focus is on people. And I know people go to programs, and so that's a little bit uh, redundant, but we're intentional about focusing our energy and our efforts specifically on people. And when I say people, I mean whoever walks through that door. Over the years, I've learned, and my friends who are pastors, sometimes we get together and we talk about this member or that member because uh, people are interesting. <laughs> and sometimes interesting people walk through our doors. 
It's easy for us to want people that are already leaders, already teachers, mature and godly. There are times where we, we, we love to have people join and, and they've learned elsewhere. They've grown to maturity elsewhere. They've made all their foolish mistakes in some other church. And they've learned their lessons and they come here and they're ready to go. But that often and usually does not happen. We're supposed to love and accept and teach anybody who comes through that door, whether we're whether it's the staff or the membership of the church. If you remember, Jesus gravitated toward that kind of person. He gravitated not toward the leaders, not toward the, the ones who were refined, the theologians and those who were popular in the day. And just as we have popular people in the 21st century, there were popular celebrities of the day in Israel. Jesus had little to do with any of them. He gravitated toward the, uh, those on the other end of the spectrum. If you remember, people like Zacchaeus, who was hated and despised by everyone. People like the Samaritan woman, who was hated and despised by everyone. He had a knack for those kinds of people. In fact, if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, and it's a, a verse for our series, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, 28. 1 Corinthians 1, 28. There we go. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now here's what he's saying. God wants those who are the least talented, uh, the least brilliant, the least educated, the least skilled, because those are the ones that when God does miracles through them, nobody thinks, wow, that person really did this. What they think is, God must have done a miracle <laughs> because they're not able to do that on the, in themselves and are on their own. And so God may, if you're thinking, well, I don't have a lot of talent. I'm not very outspoken. I've not been a Christian for very long. Well, I want you to know, you are the perfect candidate for God's kingdom God loves to do miracles through people just like you. And he, so he says that so that no one may boast before him, so that people can't believe that they are the ones who have done those great things. They come to the realization, God is working through me. I've told you before that I like to watch animal rescue videos on YouTube. Again, almost always dogs. Sometimes it's deer, baby deer, but usually it's dogs. Nobody rescues cats. Apparently, I haven't seen a single video. <clears throat> and what they'll do is they'll go pl to places where those dogs are that, that have been cast out, that have been thrown onto the side of the road or in the local city dump, and they'll find these dogs. And the more pitiful they are, the better. <laughs> they don't like that. Nobody goes to the dump in these videos looking for a thoroughbred. They, they, <laughs> there's no video there. They want to rescue. There's something about rescuing the most pitiful animal they can find. And so they'll be mangy and all their hair, the fur will be gone. And you can barely tell it's an animal. And some of them are just on the brink of death. And, and they're starving to death and that sort of thing. And 
and they have a bunch of little mangy puppies with them that are about to die, and they'll take them all and take them to the vet and get them doctored and, and fed and taken care of, and they'll find loving homes for them. And then they'll show at the end of the video what you really want to see a few months later when their fur has grown back and they're healthy and they're playing and they're happy. Nobody's, they're not growling and they're not sad. They're not pitiful looking anymore because we love to see that transformation. Well, I got news for you. Spiritually, you and I are that mangy dog in the dump. God found you and me and he took mercy on us and he wants to transform us into something wonderful. That's what God wants to do for us. And it's what he wants us to do for others. Secondly, transformation into a kingdom leader takes time. Transformation into a kingdom leader takes time. Are you open to learning something new? Are you teachable? I like and we like instant lessons. I like it. I go into the internet and there are all kinds of wonderful resources I finish almost none of them, but I look at the first paragraph or two. <laughs> I read an article from a Christian writer, and that first paragraph or two, that's really good, but I rarely finish what I began because I just become impatient. I'm attention deficit, spiritually speaking. Are you open to learning? We like to hear one sermon. My path to spiritual maturity in one sermon, let me tell you, it's not going to happen. And if any preacher tells you he can mature you to maturity in one sermon, he's trying to say you something. <laughs> it takes time. One seminar. I'd like to go to that one. I went to a seminar last week, and so now I'm a professional theologian or whatever. My marriage was terrible, and then I went to that one seminar. We went to that one seminar, and now it's amazing. Now, they may set you on the right track, but it takes time and work. People might think, I read that one book. I'm not talking about the Bible. <laughs> That's the only book that'll really do it. I read that one book, changed my whole life. Well, uh, it didn't happen overnight. It may have set you on a path, but transformation takes time. Leadership, learning leadership takes time. Whenever we have Bible studies, and I, we try very hard to have really good Bible studies and our volunteers and our staff, they, they look for material that we think is of most value to you. And people will come and they're very excited. And we'll have always our biggest crowd, if there are six or eight sessions, our biggest crowd is when? Session one. Man, we're ready. You get the book. <laughs> you, you show up. You, you show up early. There's a crowd. But by session, session eight or ten or whatever it is, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. The information is just as good. It's just as valuable. But we just want it instantly. It's hard for us to be patient. We need to keep learning to move forward, to learn, to move forward, to learn, to move forward one step at a time, one year at a time. It is a lifelong process. In the spring of 1924, Jack Sundane was a four-year-old kid standing in line with his father inside the White House, waiting to meet President Calvin Coolidge. As they neared him, Jack noticed that the president had 
had said something to each visitor as they shook hands. And he was excited knowing that the president was going to tell him something personal just for him as a kid. So soon the thrilling moment arrived and Jack put his little hand in the president's hand and he listened closely as the president said these words that Jack will never forget. The words were, move along. <laughs> you know, I thought that's really cruel, that's awful. But then I thought, you know what? I wonder how many events had the president been to where he was only able to greet a small portion of the crowd. And too much of his time was spent with too few people and everybody else in line, they didn't get to see him or he stayed there for hours and hours and hours having to greet everybody. And so he thought, I'll just make this efficient. I'll just tell every one of them, move on, move on. Well, there are times in our life where I think that God says that to us. You need to take another step. It's time to move on. You're just loitering there, spiritually speaking, move forward, move on. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says it this way. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. And so there's a step to, to prepare. There's a calling to prepare God's people for works of service. Then he says, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants. You see, step after step after step after step, there's a good guide for your life right there in that passage. But in the end, here's what he's saying to the Ephesian church and you and I. Now those folks in Ephesus, when they read this, I, I can't help but to think that they caught this. It sounds a lot like Paul is saying, you're infants. <laughs> But here's your plan not to be an infant anymore so that you will be mature. But we want to be mature overnight, immediately. I know I've told you before that when I was a kid, my parents spanked us. And I always say to you when I mention that, that my brothers and sisters deserved a spanking. I was the victim, but they deserved it. Now, if I redheaded kids, we needed a spanking. Mom always used a board, dad used his belt. And I've told you how when I was six years old, I, I had a belt too. And I decided I wanted to be all grown up just like daddy. And so I took my belt off to my daddy. <laughs> yeah, I never did it again. <laughs> that was a terrible mistake. <laughs> I learned that maturing takes time. <laughs> um... By the way, bear, beware of any group or church or denomination or pastor that deceives you into thinking that you, can, if you follow their footsteps, join their church or embrace their superior doctrine, that you can be on a spiritual fast track to maturity. Through their super spiritual, super holy teaching, you can in a few brief weeks or months or giving so much money, you can grow more spiritual than anybody you know again it's a lie. Don't believe it. They're trying to sell you something. Next, kingdom leaders know how to, excuse me. Kingdom leaders know that they are accountable. Kingdom leaders know that they are accountable. 
In our world, everybody blames everybody and nothing gets done. And nobody's to blame because no one takes responsibility. It doesn't work that way, though, in the kingdom. God calls us all to be accountable. And that word is not popular. I get that. Most of the world will reject that. But we are accountable. Whether you are a Baptist or a Buddhist, an atheist, an agnostic, an Anglican, or anybody else, we are accountable before God. You know how it works in this world is we have those to whom we're accountable in our own life, our parents. And then beyond that, we are accountable to the local police. And then beyond that, we're accountable to the authorities in our state. And beyond that, we're accountable to the federal government. But we don't like that anymore. We, we reject that. We resent that. We resent our parents having authority over us. And then we resent the police having authority over us. And we resent the, the, the state government having authority over us. And we resent the federal government. Our, in fact, in our federal government, we talk about authority. It's Congress and then it's the Supreme Court. The Congress right now is at an all-time record low, I think. It, 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 nobody likes the Congress. I'm not overly fond of them either. But we reject those authority figures. And now the Supreme Court, which people used to never say bad things about the Supreme Court. They're talking about changing it all up and adding a bunch of more justices and doing this and that. Because nobody wants to be accountable to anybody anymore, ever. And then we come, is that not true? And then we come into God's house and we say, well, we're accountable to God. But do we really want to be accountable to God? Or do we want God to mind his own business. Christian author Henry Blackaby says it this way, spiritual leadership necessitates an acute sense of accountability. Just as a teacher has not taught until students have learned, leaders don't blame their followers when they don't do what they should do. Leaders don't make excuses. They assume their responsibility is to move people to do God's will. Until they do this, they have not yet fulfilled their role as leaders. And that brings us to our passage this morning, Titus chapter 1, verse 7. If you turn back there with me, if you would, Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Now, before I read this, again, I, I, I'll give you a little context. This is, the author is talking about the role of, of overseer or elder. Now, people ask me from time to time, we're a Southern Baptist church. Most Southern Baptist churches don't have elders, uh, they say, but in fact, we do. We interpret this passage as a reference to pastors, or you could say pastors and associate pastors. If a church has an associate pastor, those are your elders. And because we have deacons here at First Baptist Church, but I know other churches and other denominations will have both elders and deacons, and there's nothing wrong with that interpretation. But if you're wondering why we don't have elders, I would say you do have elders. Uh, they're, they're right here. And so he's talking about those, those individuals. And you may be sitting there thinking, all right, that's not me. I'm not the pastor. <laughs> you know, uh, that was a close one. But listen to what he says. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be, and here, here's the list, he must be blameless. Now, he spends the rest of the time talking about what makes him not blameless. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, or not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. And so there's the list. That is, he shouldn't be a dirty dog. 
He shouldn't be a bad guy. He shouldn't be uh, 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 popping his lid all the time in anger. He, he shouldn't be a drunk or violent, and certainly you wouldn't want that as your pastor. Well, God doesn't want that for his church members in, in his kingdom either. Uh, th these are things that all of us should be doing. Don't sit there and think, well, I'm not the pastor, so I can, I can be as mad and violent as I want. No. Verse 8, and this is what I love about the Bible. He doesn't just say that he can't do these things. He then tells us what we should be doing instead. Rather, in verse 8, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled and upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now he says a lot right there. Just a couple quick thoughts. First of all, he says he must be hospitable. I had to look that up. I, I, you know, I know what hospitality is in, in my mind, but I was curious and I looked at the Greek word and it literally means fond of guests. You have to be fond of your guests. That's what hospitable means. <clears throat> Remember a few weeks ago I told you, in fact last Sunday I told you that leaders are people people. You have to like people. And so that's what he's writing right here. If you're going to have a pastor, you want a pastor that likes people. If your pastor hates people, then he's probably not going to be a very good pastor. But it's the same with everybody in the kingdom. All leadership in the kingdom, we have to like people. Be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who's self-controlled and upright and holy and disciplined. And then he says this, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Paul had, for example, already encountered people, even in leadership, who had fallen to the wayside and followed after other theologies, heresies. There's a pastor that we know in the Philippines, a pastor that I've worked with before, who, uh, now he's not the one that pastors the, our sister church in, in So Oak, uh, he is a faithful young man, Pastor June. But this is another pastor. And he left Christianity and became Muslim because the Muslim religion offered him an income. And he needed an income, so he just switched over. Oh, my goodness. So he says in verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, I liked what he said. He says, you need, you need to hold fast to the trustworthy message. Hold, hold firmly to it as it has been taught so that you can lord it over everybody else. Does he say that? No. So that you can hit everybody else on the head with it. No. What does he say? Here's the point of you and I learning and holding to the message of Jesus Christ. Holding fast, he says, so that he can encourage encourage others. Everything that you and I learn here out of this, this word of God is for the purpose of encouraging others and we encourage them by using sound doctrine. And so he says that so that we can encourage others. Next, kingdom leaders work from God's agenda. Kingdom leaders work from God's agenda. I've always told you that Jesus at Gethsemane said, God, I'm here for your agenda, not my will, but your will be done. Did you know that we once had a drive-in movie here on this property? I share with you that we 
we had a tent revival here, right kind of about where the lobby is, is where the tent was. This was just a field of grass. Uh, people had used it for, uh, the previous owners used it for a garden, a big garden. And uh, so it was just a field that was sitting here. And we had the revival, it went great, but over the years, again, people started losing interest in the church on this property. And so I wanted to, to get them over here. And I thought, what can we do with this property? How can we use this property in the kingdom? And so I don't know why, but it popped into my head. Let, of course, it's been a while, but I, I thought, let's do a drive-in movie here. We got this big property, put a lot of cars on it. And let's build a giant screen and show a movie because the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe had come out in the movies. And so I scheduled that the weekend for the drive-in movie to be the very weekend that it came out on DVD. This is back in the day when people watched movies on DVD. Remember that? And the older folks, they watched it on cassette tape, uh, VHS. Boy, am I glad that's over. Anyway... So the very day it came out, we showed the Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe. We handed out, we created tickets and handed out free tickets for months all over town through Mission Azel, door to door, handed out tickets to come to see the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. And it was a wonderful movie for its day because it was one of those movies, and this is rare, that it appealed to children. It was a great kids movie. Now, we, we take our kids to movies, you know, animated movies, and oh my goodness, maybe 10 minutes. It's all I could handle, you know. And so Cherry and I learned as parents and young parents, you'll learn this lesson that you, you go to the theater that has the recliners because it's a great time to sleep. We, we enjoyed many animated movies <laughs> because we were unconscious. But The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, it, it appealed to children, to youth, to adults, and even senior adults. It was just a really good movie. And of course, you know the story, that famous novel that parodied or, or made an analysis uh, of, of Christ himself. And so in the movie, Christ is portrayed as what? A lion, yes. And so this lion, there's a scene in the movie where this lion allowed himself to be bound, to be mocked, and to have his mane cut, and even allowed himself to be killed. And again, an analogy of what Christ allowed, that he, he allowed them to do that. He could have easily overpowered them at any moment. At the trial of Jesus, I wonder... And it's a silly thing to wonder how long I would have made it if I were in his shoes. Would I have let them arrest me? So he goes to the trial, and I think, well, surely by the time I got into the, the cat of nine tails and the 39 whippings, I think on the first whip, I would have said, okay, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Call down the angels. But the truth is, I probably, knowing you know, I'm, I am a man, I probably wouldn't have lasted that long. If you remember at his very first trial, he spoke, he said something in response, and one of the guards punched him in the face. That's probably my moment right there. <laughs> I would have brought down lightning at that moment. But Jesus didn't do that. He was willing to submit himself to the will, to the agenda of God. And that's what leaders do. We work from God's agenda and not our own. Writer Mark Batterson said in his book, and the name of his book is entitled All In. I like that. He says this, most people in most churches think that they are following Jesus, but I'm not so sure. 
He says they may think they are following Jesus, but the reality is this, they have invited Jesus to follow them. Too many times I want Jesus to follow me, to serve my purposes, to do my will. But I want you to join me in saying, God, I want you to revive my life. I want to follow you. Help me to get out of the way. Navigate my life into following your will. When I was in seminary, I had a professor, he had a pet peeve about bumper stickers, religious bumper stickers, because so many of them just really had bad theology. And I remember thinking, he's a crabby. <laughs> you know, theologians always overthink everything. But there was this one bumper sticker that he really hated, and it was the bumper sticker that said, God is my co-pilot. Have you seen that bumper sticker? Well, now that I'm old and crabby myself, he was right. That's a terrible bumper sticker. Listen, if God is your co-pilot, you're doomed. Your plane's going to crash. And you may be thinking, oh, okay, okay, okay. He's not my co-pilot. So you're the main pilot. You're really calling the shots. But in an emergency, God is there as your co-pilot. See, you see the bad doctrine in that? Terrible doctrine. So you may be thinking, okay, okay. I'm the co-pilot. God's the pilot. No. God doesn't need a co-pilot. He, he's the pilot, period. You should be back there in economy class handing out peanuts. That's your job. So I get it. Bad theology. And so that's what Jesus was saying when he says, not my will, but thy will be done. He says, God, I'm going to follow you. You're going to be the pilot. You're going to be the author of my story. And I will do as you ask me to do. Garibaldi, the great Italian military hero from the 19th century, raised an incredibly committed volunteer army. His appeal for recruits was rather unique as he offered only these terms for those who would fight for him or with him. He said this, I offer neither pay nor quarters nor provisions. I offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, battles, and death. Let him who loves his country with his heart and not his lips only follow me. So here's what happened. He already knew for everyone who signed up and went with him, they were all in. They were going to do whatever he told them to do. They were willing to fight. They were willing to starve. They were willing to die. They were all in. That's the kind of fighter that he was looking for. And that is only the kind of people that Christ will call into his kingdom. He's looking for those who are all in. And when we talk about surrendering to Jesus Christ, you surrender yourself to Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Romans 10, 9, that means you're all in. There's only one Lord, one pilot, and you do what he tells you to do. And those are the kinds of people that become powerful leaders in God's kingdom. Are you all in today? Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging sometimes we are not all in. Sometimes we're tempted to allow you to be our co-pilot. We have just a little bit of, of Jesus in our life to make us feel better, to help us when we're sick or mad or poor. But then we forget you in those days of health, those days of wealth, the good times. Father, forgive us.
I pray you would create in us leadership in the kingdom. Help us this week to be salt and light. Remind us that it takes a lifetime. That we cannot expect to be the Apostle Paul overnight. That slowly you are transforming us to be like Christ. And that takes a long time. Help us to be all in and to be patient. Father, I pray that you would help us to have the heart of Christ. That whoever comes to those doors, and they may be dysfunctional or from a very dysfunctional life. They may have uh, been in prison before or have had so many problems and difficulties and things that they've done. But they're here. You brought them our way. Whoever it is, whether they have great abilities or no abilities, whether they're young or old, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. We embrace them as Christ would have. We love them and care for them and that we grow them into disciples for your glory. As you're praying, no one's looking around. I want to challenge you this morning. Are you all in? Are you the leader that God has called you to be and is challenging you to be? Listen, God wants to do things through you that are literally not possible. He can do that if you'll let him. It may be you just want to come and kneel and pray or you want to pray for somebody that you know that desperately needs God and his leadership in their life. Maybe you want to take that next step by joining with our church and you just want to come up and say, Pastor, we would like to join. That's all you got to say. Pastor, we'd like to join. We'd like to move our membership here and serve our Savior here in this church for this community, for the kingdom. Or maybe you want to surrender yourself to Christ. You've never let him be the pilot of your life. He's never really called the shots. And you want to surrender today and say, Lord, I completely surrender to you. This could be the hour of your salvation. If God is speaking, this is your opportunity right now. He's giving it to you. Don't miss it. Would you stand? Everyone.